You're watching Deprograms. I'm Harrison Pitt. I'm a writer for the European Conservative. And I'm happy to be joined today by Evan Riggs, who is a freelance journalist, and Sebastian Milbank, who is the executive editor of The Critic. Now, uh, Sebastian, Evan and I were very uh, interested recently to read your latest piece in The Critic. I mean, there's a sort of common refrain on the, on the, on the right today in, in the Anglosphere that the kids are all woke, you know, civilization mm -hmm. is sort of going down the drain and all the rest of it. For that reason, partly, there's no hope for the future. But your piece is called The Kids Are Alt-Right. And of course, you're talking about um, political demography on the continent is being yeah. slightly different as in the Anglosphere. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're writing in that piece? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think the, the, the article sort of began when I started seeing um, some of the statistics come out of European elections that really surprised me. So I saw, for example, polling that suggested that uh, in Sweden, the, um, the national populist Sweden Democrats were doing equally well with younger people as with older people. Uh, and there's also there was similar polling in Italy, where also there was some polling that suggested that, in fact, um, younger people were more likely to vote um, for the far left. And similarly, in the 2017 French presidential election, half of under 30s in the first round of voting voted for either Mélenchon or mm. Le Pen. Mélenchon so being, the, being the left wing. Yeah, candidate. so either for the far left or the far right. Yeah. But overall, looking across Europe, generally speaking, left wing, including left populist movements, generally weren't doing well. They, they sometimes had initial surges, as in Greece, but largely um, the left has fallen away, and most of this distant energy is being. Um, taken up by populist parties of the right. Mm. And, you, and you think it's that dissident energy which they have which attracts young people? Well, I, I think definitely. Um, but I think it's also um, what I identified in the article was I think a lot of this is coming out of the shattering of mainstream politics in 2008. So, you know, we saw the world economy collapse, the, pro the kind of great kind of neoliberal and neoconservative promises or a triumphant century of liberalism, the Fukuyama end of history, it didn't happen. A lot of young people feel that they haven't had the same material progress as their parents and grandparents, whilst also having to do with many of the consequences of the social decline mm. that happened in those same times, in terms of you know, crimes, drugs, divorce. Um, and I think in 2008, you saw a great reaction against globalization that the left was not successfully able to um, take the helm of. So, you know, left-wing populists, you know, you see with Occupy Wall Street, they tore themselves mm. apart over identity politics, um, and the right got organised, and they took and, and they took the helm of the anti-globalisation movement. You know, I mean, I don't know how many of you remember twenty years ago, but that was a time when the anti-globalisation was still a left-wing movement. You know, mm. you saw it in Mexico, um, you know, in 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 the left in North America and in Britain, there was strong there was a lot of anti-globalization energy you know even in sort of more moderate publications you saw all sorts of things about let's reduce air miles mm. you know let's um, have fair trade and all of that sort of left-wing anti-globalization has very much fallen away in the face of diversity politics mm. at the same time the right was able to tell an incredibly coherent story um, uh, which was able to link um, the failure of globalization with an attack on tradition, on national identity, and on and on traditional culture. And that's that was a much more compelling story. It was a much more coherent one, and it's one that was actually able to mobilize people politically. Yes. So just to rewind a little mm. bit, Sebastian, uh, what would you say separates the alt right from the right? What's the differentiating factor here? Is it populism? Is it this anti-globalization strain? I think so. I mean, I think alt right obviously is a phrase that's very freighted. Um, you know, so it made for a good headline. But yeah. um, <laughs> I, I, the article, the, the phrase I tend to use in the article is, I think, national populism mm. because I think that broadly captures that, that there's a nationalist focus. It's populist, but it's often very diverse. Mm. So that uh, uh, so that 
although the, there was a unifying factor of, you know, it was on the right, it was to do with nationhood, and it was populist, and though generally there was an agreement that, you know, need to limit migration, be more protectionist economically, um, there was a sort of cultural Christianity. These things were shared in all of these movements, mm. but where there was division was, there was a, you know, some of these were very much like Christian demo Democrats yeah. were in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, you know, I so say that's probably, you know, despite some of the propaganda you see, that's probably broadly true of something like Fidesz and the Law and Justice Party in Poland. But there are movements of the much further right. So, for example, the Golden, the Golden Dawn, Dawn Party in, in Greece, Greece, which wants to turn immigrants into lampshades. But also like, groups that sometimes well. get... No, no, that, that, I mean, <laughs> you, you often hear that rhetoric from the Golden Dawn Party in Greece. I mean, they're, they're, they're a sort yeah. of stridently... You know, racist nitwit party, basically, uh, and the confederacy, and then you get your confederacy party mm. in mm. Poland, and you also have, for example, Jobbik in Hungary. And yes. I think Jobbik yeah. is an interesting case because it's part of the often much lauded Hungarian opposition. Yes, um, and Jobbik is an interesting case because it's the single party, the party that's had the single greatest growth amongst young people mm. in Hungary. Mm. Um, they're having they're 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 having extraordinary successes amongst young people. Mm. So that uh, I, I, well, I so that this isn't an article that's just been. It's not, I wouldn't say I was either hopeful or despondent in no. this article. I think there's there's a sign that European young people are more political than they're sometimes portrayed as being, mm. and that they are trying to fight back against their circumstances, but that is sometimes going in quite dark directions. Mm. And would it be true to say as well uh, that there is a sort of, uh, there is a strange sort of brew of sort of a lot, lot of right, you know, a lot of right wing uh, talk on culture in this sort of insurgent, in these insurgent political movements as they exist on the continent, but also mixed with a with a certain amount of left leftism in, in economics. So, for, for example, yeah. so for example, I, I have I have a friend called uh, who writes for the European Conservative called Carlos, who um, who's, who's a huge he's Spanish and he's a huge fan yeah. of of Vox. Yeah. And um, one of the things that he talks about a great deal is how one of the effects of mass immigration into uh, you know European populations is that it undermines that sense of working class solidarity, yeah. which is the necessary precondition for any kind of sort of class politics. Yep. And so, for example, in, country, in, in areas in Spain where there is more immigration, there is also less unionization. And so a lot of people on the left are very, this, so this anti-globalization uh, you know, move used to be a very sort of left-wing critique of you know, capitalism run amok, capitalism internationalized, and all the rest of it. Whereas because of the, the, the because of diversity politics, it's less politically correct for them to make that sort of observation today. So the the, right, the point is that the right on the continent has taken this electoral high ground and is and it's very fertile electoral ter territory and it's doing better. And the left has sort of crumbled and fallen away. Do you think that uh, the, the to bring it back to, to Britain? Do you think that the Conservative Party or the right in general in this country can make the same sort of move? Well, to a degree, the right in this country did make this sort of move in 2019 in again this is the single greatest electorate win in the last 13 years for the conservative party the only one that gave them a serious majority was under boris johnson mm. in 2019 where he promised essentially a vision that united social and economic conservatism he, where he promised he was going to be more protectionist he was going to re spend more he was going to redistribute resources from the south to the north sort of leveling up strategy. the leveling up strategy um and he also promised to strip migration there were promises to and again it was broadly speaking a socially and economically conservative agenda and this was and, it, and there's been a survey that shows that the 2019 voters who swung from labor to the conservatives were not only more socially conservative 
than the average Labour voter, not only more socially conservative than the average voter, not only more socially conservative than the average Brexit voter, they were more socially conservative than the average Conservative voter. Mm. So that there is no there is no ambiguity or question about what won the Red Wall. Mm. It was exactly this kind of an agenda. But mm. I think where the difference comes in Britain is that so is that these is that national populist voters in Britain and in the English speaking world in general are older rather than younger, and that's I mean, I, and, I, and I think that's that's one of the reasons why we often find it hard to realise what's going on in the continent because there's a narrative in Britain that um, right wing populism is a backwards looking movement and it's never going to appeal to young people. Mm. Mm. Do you think that? A certain amount of this and sort of the, the great awakening that we've kind of endured over the last decade has to do with the fact that it, it's just tra being transmitted through the English language. Like, I think it was even Macron who said basically we need to get all these English speaking or, or English ideas, you know, out of our universities and, and stop our professors actually from speaking English. Or even Georgia Maloney now in Italy, where she's banning English words and advertisements in a way to kind of reclaim their sort of national identity and mm build this sort of insulation from these sort of like pathological idea pathogens that were spreading all around the West. Yeah, I would agree. And I'd say it'd be more specific than that. I think it's an American idea. Sure. Um, yeah. That we're, we're, we're looking at um, something that's coming out of primarily American universities. And it's also come out of the fact that, you know, America post-civil rights movement it, it is that the kind of great racial reconciliation was supposed to produce you know, economic growth for black people is supposed to produce, um, you know, a better set of living circumstances. But what's happened in the period since the civil rights movement is that um, the black family has collapsed. Um, the, um, the, again, although there has been economic improvements for black people overall, they haven't been evenly distributed. They're still lagging far behind the rest of the American population, including um, black people who have come over from Africa. There's still, there's a, there's been, there was a crime wave following on the civil rights movement, so that I think all of these things, and, at this, and that of course also brought increased tensions between black Americans and the police. And I think all of those things have meant that it's destabilized the American national project, um, and it also opened a space for a kind of left-wing populism about race. And, and I think that has taken hold of the American Academy and hold of American left-wing politics. And because America has the kind of because America is the world hegemon, whether people, you know, a kind of world empire, whether they want to describe themselves as that or not, um, you know, when they, then when they sneeze, we all catch a cold. Yes. Um, and um, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, the time where we've got the internet, we've got a global, there's a global reach mm. for American culture. Um, it, it, it became something like there were protests in Europe, there were protests in yes. Britain. Um, Hands up, don't shoot, even though, <laughs> yeah, we're in, even though, even though our police say, aren't yeah. armed. Yeah, it can, it can be very incoherent at times, and people sort of want. It's almost as if they want to to to, to impress the mother country by by taking up its, uh, by, by adopting its uh, political lexicon, even if it makes no sense in the sort of in in, in British national circumstances. Well, what do you think would be a good way then to insulate the UK from this, um, despite the fact that there's a, a shared common language? Like, do you think it's possible? <sighs> I mean, I, I mean, it's always difficult to insulate, insulate yourself from something when you when you when you are so closely tied to America, um, in, in ways that are organic as well as artificial. I mean, I think part of the problem is that in other European countries they do have the language barrier, but they also have much stronger national institutions. So that somewhere like France, I mean, you look at the way that they back 
you know, every, I mean, you know, like they, they have laws that protect French bookshops from Amazon. They have laws mm. that that ensure that a certain number of films shown in French cinemas have to be French made. You know, they back their industries up to the hilt. Um, and I think one of the divergences between Britain and the con continent that we don't talk about enough anymore is the great 1960s productivity divergence. Now, a lot of people may know that British productivity has plateaued since the 2008 crash, whereas it's continued to go up in Europe. Um, what they may not realise is that Britain used to be the most economically productive country in Europe, um, but from the, in the 1960s, France and Germany overtook us, and we have never caught them up. Nothing that we did since, you know, not Thatcher, not anything, has brought British industry to the levels of productivity in Europe. And part of that is because we've, we've de-industrialised de and because we have a system of labour that is either, it's caught between statism, which is a kind of, you know, public sector subsidy, state distortion of markets, um, which the right rightly condemns, but then our alternative is a kind of let it rip system which exposes us to a race a global race to the bottom you know in labor standards um in the inflow of from capital and the outflow of british industry whereas in, in, in europe they've had a more corporatist model which means that despite the many problems of european systems i'm saying they're perfect and we're awful yeah. but at least in this era in terms of industry they have a more corporatist approach as we see in germany where there's more of a harmonization of the interests of workers um, and bosses, there's much more of a sense that you might start at the bottom and still go to the top. There's less of a gap in terms of wages at the top of industries and from the bottom. And so there's much more of a model of like, we're going to modernize our, our industry, we're going to make it work. We're, you know, we're, we're, you know they'll, they'll lose jobs if they think it's going to push productivity up, but they're not going to lose an entire industries. You know, they're not going to let, like the, Fr the France, the French, the Italians, the Germans are not going to let their car manufacturers fold. It's just not going to happen. And, and we didn't, and we've done the opposite. And of course, okay. So if, to bring it back to the, mm. to the idea of a sort of British populist moment, I mean, we, we had, in many ways, we did have our populist moment sure. in 2016. It started in 2016, you could say it culminated in 2019, but we had that moment which, which was sort of registering, a, a question of registering radical distress at the way in which globalization had sort of unmoored people from their, from their national communities. It, 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 mm. it, it, it had corroded you know, the importance of locality. Um, it, it, people said we want globalization to slow down and that was expressed very clearly in the 2016 referendum win. The problem is that that populist moment was effectively hijacked by, yeah, and even though Johnson promised in 2019 to, to make good on that sort of, to, to, to cash in the populist check so to speak, you know, uh, in, in, in Parliament in 2019, um, he was basically a free trade you know, open borders, liberal. Yeah. Uh, Brexit as a project was hijacked by people who were much more in the cast of people like Daniel Hannan than Nigel Farage. Sure. And as such, you know, we kind of, in a way, we've, we've, sort, of, we've sort of wasted our, pop, our, our populist moment. Yeah. I, I wonder whether we can have another one. The question is whether we can have another one. And my sense of it is that it was going to be very difficult for us to have another populist moment for as long as, on the right at least, for as long as the, conserv the Conservative Party is, is standing in the way of that because the British yeah, system, yeah. the British system is set up, um, you know, to favour two parties, and 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 there is, it's very rare in British history that you get these sort of insurgent political parties supplanting the old ones. I mean, you had the Liberals, as uh, the Labour supplanting the Liberals at the, at the turn of the in, in the 1920s. You have um, you, you have weird, weird sort of split, you know, you have weird sort of breakaways in the late in the late 19th century when Joseph Chamberlain sort of split from from the Liberals on the issue of uh, of, of, of free trade. 
but usually in Britain, it's always been a sort of dichotomous political system. And so for as long as the Conservative Party remains in the driving seat, it's going to be yeah. very difficult for us to, 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 to marshal the, the ingredients of populism for any kind of electoral victory. Vote yeah. Labour, I guess. And hope, and hope something uh, rises from the ashes. That's, that's what I think. Uh, I, that, go on, sorry. But do, do you think that there's something about the... In America, they're not having this problem as much. The populist movement hasn't died away, right? Like mm. it's, it's continuing to grow even though it's been stymied at many turns. Yes. Um, but do you think there's something about sort of the British cultural aspect of just like, I don't know, kind of like enduring civility at all costs that is preventing... Um, this from actually taking place and like really kind of taking root in UK politics. Like in America, people are not afraid to fight dirty and they're getting dirtier like week by week now. I think mm. DeSantis in Florida literally just banned DEI mm. in all public universities. Mm. I mean, you know, you could do that here, but I do wonder if there's like an aspect of... We need to be nice. Yeah, and, and mm. fair play that the... British conservatives are just unwilling to get down to the level of their opposition. They're mm -hmm. holding themselves to too high a standard and unwilling to kind of fight fire with fire. They're getting burned nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, 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 there's an association of populism is just as being as loud and mean as possible. And perhaps Donald Trump has given us that. But one thing I'll say about Donald Trump is I don't think his appeal, you know, certainly the fact he was able to talk in a way that was more appealing to working class Americans, that he was more direct in his language, I think helped him. But the reason he succeeded wasn't because he was rude, he succeeded because mm. he opposed the Iraq war and because he said he was going to protect people's social security. And he wanted um, to repatriate, free, free trade. Uh, he wanted to re re repatriate yeah, American, exactly. industry, American industry. Uh, and yeah. he was going to beat China. And that, that was why he was elected. Absolutely. And because he was going to yeah. scare the borders. And that's, those are the promises he made. And it's the agenda, not the personality. It's, yeah. mm. Well, it's the agenda Person linked to a personality that's seen as forceful and competent, yeah. whether or not that's a fair yes, account of it's, Trump. It's certainly, uh, it's certainly not... That's how he's seen I, by I, I'm not, My sense of it is that it's yeah. cer it certainly wasn't the, 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 the so-called baggage of his personality that attracted people. I mean, it, no. it certainly attracted... There are certain people who, who, who did like the, the rudeness and the brashness, even me at times, I will confess, sure. to, yes. to, to, to laughing on occasion. But I don't think that was what sort of carried him over the line in 2016. But anyway, sorry. No, and I mean, I think, I mean, as you've pointed out, Harrison, the, it's the fact that, you know, in Europe, they mostly have proportional representation. Mm. It's very easy for a new party to break into that system. Mm. And in America, you know, in France, they have presidential system. You can put yourself forward as a presidential, I mean, presidential Ma candidate. That's, that's what Macron did. I mean, yeah. I mean, Omarche didn't exist in 20, whenever it was, 2016, when he, when he ran. No. He just invented it on the fly, and the, and the, and the, and the French Socialist part, Party of Francois, Francois Hollande was completely in the toilet. And I mean, one of the strengths of the British political system is that it's not a very easy to be an entryist and yeah. it, it has tended towards institutional continuity. We have the, some of the oldest political parties in the world, yes. you know, it's, that's how, and that's a strength when there is a continuity of tradition and mm. a sense of public service yes. and people are able to get together um, and, they can, and they're connected to ordinary people. But, you mm. know, party membership has collapsed. It completely collapsed. And yeah. the problem is that both parties are increasingly, it feels like in the hawk of basically I mean, I don't know how to put this politely. Uh, so we say boomers with strong opinions. <laughs> you know, like it's, it, you know, it, it's the case of, you know, you look at something like housing policy in Britain. Mm. This should be a classic populist entry oh, point yes. for young people. Young people cannot buy a house. 
Um, and they can't buy a house because there isn't enough of a supply of new homes in the areas where they want to live, and because there's too much demand in the areas where they want to live as well. And this could be solved in two ways, either by limiting demand, by limiting migration, and also limiting the inflow of foreign capital into places like London, where you know, mm. like you've got all these half-empty streets owned by Russians, mm. and you've got you know, hundreds of thousands of people arriving as cheap labour. And you could also control it by building new homes. But but the fact is. The people who most benefit in this country demographically from the situation are older, wealthier voters. Whose who's house, who's, who's house, house prices, prices go inflate, up, yes. and cheap labour means they can still get affordable goods and services, mm -hmm. and all the, uh, and you know, and, you know, nannies and the rest of it. Yes, but another dimension of the sort of the the, the, the youthful the, the youthful aspect of populism on the continent is that you you, you write in the piece uh, about how a lot of these parties, particularly I think you mentioned in Belgium and Italy, actually. You know, try and generate uh, a sense of social cohesion by actually getting everyone together. Yeah. And like one of the in, in the 1950s, which was the high point of party membership in this country, being a member of the Labour Party or being a member of the Conservative Party didn't just mean that you sort of you know looked through the manifesto and ticked every box and thought, oh, brilliant, I agree completely. There was a whole sort of social dimension to the party membership. You would, yeah, absolutely. You, you, mm -hmm. there, there was a sort of club ability to it. You would you would sort of play darts at the at the at the, at the working men's club, or you'd you know go to black tie dinners in the Tory party. There was there was this sense that um, you, you, we, we were getting together, and that would obviously attract younger people um, in, in, into that tradition as well. And obviously, that's something which doesn't happen in this country. But what, what sort of activities are being put on in Italy well, to, to get the young people yes, know, so enthusiastic and galvanized? I mean, so Maloney has a well, quite controversial, let it be said, youth movement um, called Student Action, yeah. um, which is um, their, their memberships increased um, from 10,000 to 50,000. So that's not that's you know I, I mean I think it puts Corbyn I mean you know instead of Corbyn levels of support yeah yes. but for a right wing candidate yes. um, I, I mean I think one thing that's important to bear in mind is with young people in in Britain is we is we know they're more socially liberal than ever before um, but there's also surveys saying that they're less democratic than any previous Absolutely. generation mm -hmm. so I think there was one particular survey that sh uh, that I cited in the article which says that I think forty one percent would support a military dictator forty <laughs> six. Yes. And 61% support a strong leader. There we go. France, in, in France, I mean, the, the, the idea that the army should take over is, 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 as, is as strong as, uh, as ever. Um, the one problem, I, I, I agree with that bit. I agree with, um, it, it is true that you can, you, there are these surveys showing that young people are sort of less attracted to democracy. I, I don't think it proves that as such. I think, I think what it shows mm. is that young people are Less attracted to the sort of the parliamentary Absolutely. architecture involved in democracy, and this is a, this is a distinction, yeah. a very useful distinction, which a controversial thinker, but a brilliant thinker, Carl Schmitt made in, in the 1920s. He made a distinction between uh, what he called d democracy and parliamentarism. Mm. I, th I, th I think people, young people, are against the sort of the, the oligarchic aspect of our current democracy. It's not so much that they don't want um, th there to be a sort of democratic spirit to political legitimacy. The sense is that um, that spirit should be embodied by a sort of a leader who becomes a sort of avatar for the people, rather than sort of having to sort of deal through the through the intermediaries of sort of MPs and parliaments. Yeah. So no need for any of that nonsense. And the, and the problem in this country is that even though in many ways that would set, well, that would suggest that populism can be a force in Britain with the young, it can it could attract them given that there is this sort of you know disregard for political institutions. 
it seems to me that the reason why so many young people want a strong leader, it's more so that they can that strong leader can stop yeah. fossil fuels than stop immigration. That that would be the reason why. I mean, certainly they have those views, is it not? I mean, I mean, certainly, and I thought Corbyn's a good example of yeah. you know he was a populist leader with the young. Mm. Um, uh, I, I think it is more complicated than that because I think young people feel locked out of the political process, and at the, and at the moment that dissident spirit, for all sorts of reasons, is channeled to the left. Mm. But in Italy, for example, the surveys that show that young Italians are the most socially liberal generation, they're mm. more accepting of gay people, they're more, they're less racist than their grandparents voting for more moderate parties, and yet they're voting for a party which you know denounces the international LGBT agenda and wants to like close the borders, yes. but. It, and so I think it's very hard for if you're in Britain in a political situation which is so different mm. to understand that. But you've got to bear in mind this is a country where, like, first of all, it, there, there are cultural differences. You know, this is a country where, like, Dolce and Gabbana could also, like, say that their idea of the family is the holy family, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but at the same time, I think it's partly that even that social liberals are also potentially signing up to national populist agendas because they see you know immigration and globalization as attacking their not only their economic um, status but also but also social liberal values so this is something that i think le pen has done very skillfully is she's you know rightly or wrongly she's portrayed islam as anti-liberal mm, um, and yeah. anti-republican so yeah. that she, she so that sort of le pen has been able to quite successfully lead a kind of right-wing republican agenda which has attracted liberal republicans as well as conservative catholics i see and you I was just going to say, I mean, do you think if and when the Tories are decimated and people are looking for a kind of inspiration in the UK to kind of reform a conservative party, we're talking, you know, two, three years from now. I mean, so I just took note of them here. Italy will be still in Maloney's control. France will be coming up on its yep. next set of elections where Le Pen, if she doesn't win outright, will at least come very, very close to winning again. Um, Spain will have just gone through its election, which is going to happen yeah. next year, which it looks like is probably going to be pretty heavily right wing. Uh, Finland as well. Sweden's yeah. now in control of the uh, Sweden, Swedish Democrats. Sweden Democrats yeah. Poland's taking off. Um, the top two parties in Belgium um, are now right wing populists. And then, yeah. of course, Hungary and Budapest is becoming like a bastion around the world for any sort of conservative intellectual to fly in and give speeches at. Do you think that if the Tories, if and when the Tories get decimated, there will be an opportunity for some like new up-and-comers in the UK right to actually look to the continent and kind of take inspiration from all these countries which are having successes and and build up back from there. I mean, maybe, I think you mentioned in your article that Fox is doing like under 25 bar nights, right? Maloney's got now apparently a small army of Italians who are ready to run out into the street for her. Uh, Hungary, with they have the the MCC and all these different programs that have been funded by uh, Viktor Orban and his sort of coterie of Hungarians. Um, do you think this is likely to happen? And if not, how could we make it slightly more like, likelier? I, I think it's possible. I, I think at the moment that there's a there's a very strong barrier to it, and it is that the perception in, in Britain of Europe and of the right in Europe is so distorted that I think essentially you've got, you know, for example, I mean, it's all ahead of the National Conservative Conference. There was an op-ed by Lord Frost 
and, um, and uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg in, in the Telegraph. Yes. In the Telegraph, and you know, I mean, if you wanted to parody it, you would say this is could we be racist free marketeers? And that this is not what's happening in Europe, is that you've got sometimes parties of the far right, but they're often trying to move away from their more kind of, from them, from- The market-based uh, economic yeah, Well, they're moving away from the market, free market-based, and they're also trying to moderate their views. And this is a very, and you know, whatever you think of national populism in Europe, is it's a movement that is clearly capturing the imagination of young people. Um, and it's about a resistance to globalization that is not based in the prejudice. It is at least trying not to just be based on the prejudices of the 20th century. That I think increasingly you've got older commentators and on the right as well as the left that just aren't able to understand um, what a new generation of national populists yeah. are doing and where they're going, which is it's much more about, yeah, we're going to reconnect with our European identity, but we're going to be a broad multi-ethnic coalition. We're going to be moderate. Uh, we're going to be, you know, moderate on the role of the market. We're going to be moderate on the role of national identity and religion. And again, I think that, that, there's, that, that these, these are parties that, even if they're beginning in extreme place, are trying to move towards, uh, they are trying to forge a new kind of more moderate consensus that actually unites a very broad coalition of people. And that's why they're winning elections across Europe. It's not because they're, it's not because they've driven half the population into an orgy of like racial panic. No, you know, there are no, elements of no. natism there. There are, there are movements that actually are much more extreme out there. And I, and I, and I'm not, I, and I hope with my, my article, I wasn't downplaying that, mm. um, but, I think it would be a mistake to simply dismiss millions of Europeans as being moved by the same mistakes of the 20th century. Mm. My, my sense of it, though, is very much that in, in order for the, it, there to be that sort of, uh, in order for that populist energy to be d directed here, it would be necessary not just for the Conservatives to lose in 2024, but to lose pretty badly and, yeah. and, and, and to get decimated and, and really, really to get bloodied up in, 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 in parliamentary terms. Uh, because you know, if, when you go throughout British history, the, the, the times when there are sort of real political realignments, whether those realignments take place mm. within parties, which is, has been more often the case in British history, or between parties, sort of new, yeah. party, new parties supplanting old ones, they tend to um, uh, occur at moments when parties are going through moments of uh, going through an identity crisis of sorts. And I think that th there's nothing like a great big stonking Labour victory in 2024 to provoke precisely that kind of yeah, identity crisis. Exactly. If Labour just sort of just get over the line, my fear is that the sort of people who are resistant to populism, however defined in the, in, in the Conservative Party, if, if it's just a sort of moderate Labour victory, let's say, you know, Labour win by 100 seats or something like that. Um, that would, which would, I, I mean really decimated, if Labour win by just 100 seats or something, it will be, it will be you know, pretty easy for this, you know, so-called, so, so to speak, sort of pinko liberal Tories who are sort of massively on board, massively on board with, with free trade and open borders and all the rest of it, they'll be able to reinterpret uh, that loss in terms which are, fa which, which are favourable to them. And therefore that will sort of, you know, I think that will delay the populist moment, the second populist moment, even more so. Whereas if it really is a decimation, then you do have, you do have um, a real opportunity for re either redefining what conservatism is about from within the Conservative Party, or you know th there being a whole new insurgent party altogether, which can rise from the ashes. So again, to everybody at home, vote Labour. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first. In, the NCF. You, genuinely, yeah. if I, I don't happen to live in a swing seat, but if I and, I, and my my grandmother gets uh, is, is unsure at the moment. My grandmother's very very conservative, and my my, my family's reasonably reasonably conservative. They're not completely convinced at this stage, but. 
if I lived in a swing state, I would genuinely vote for Labour at the, ne at the next election. Just accelerationism. Just ex pure, <laughs> for, yeah. for accelerationist purposes. Um, what would you say? To, uh, would you would you agree with that? I mean, would would you vote well, for Labour as a way of sort of prompting the I'm not sure awakening the Tory party? Accelerationist. I mean, I'm, Slumber. I'm, I'm I'm probably have a range of left wing as well as right wing views. So I mean, I mm. I tend to support both parties. So I was very disappointed with the Labour's um, housing strategy. Oh yes. Absolutely. That involved freezing council taxes and yes. um, more and opening up more loans for first time buyers, which is I mean it's basically David Cameron. Mm. Um, I mean I, I don't think we're going to see much diff change in policy, so I I, I I feel very agnostic about the next election. But. Sure, but, but I, I'm 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 not saying are you ever, I'm not asking whether you're a sort of staunch Starmerite, like, <laughs> whether you <laughs> who, 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 is? <laughs> who is whether you love the Labour Party, but as a sort of precondition for the sort of populist. Um, second populist moment we'd like to see, the sort of realignment we want to see. It seems to me that there are worse things we can do than go through five years of Starmer stabbing us in the front as a way of, sort of, <laughs> as, a, as a way of sort of prompting people. Uh, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know what, what will convince um, people or I mean, people to take more sensible policies here um, other than this country going very badly wrong. I mean, um, I, I, I would say I have hopes that both people and the Labour and the Conservative Party will think differently about things. I don't know what what the, the very necessary response to Britain's decline, and it really is a now a, a very extreme decline, um, will, will come from, whether it's going to come from the left or the right or both. Um, but, it, but, it, but it's vitally necessary. Um, and clearly, the Conservative Party losing badly at the next election would, hopefully, it will help people of all parts of the political spectrum rethink things. Let's mm. hope. Now, just maybe to close off here, um, when I was doing some reading, you know, and research to having you on here, um, I came across another article. Yours is called "The uh, The Kids Are Alt Right," mm. but Michael Anton, who's also speaking at NACON, uh, wrote an article four years ago called "Are the Kids Alt Right," mm. which was a review of Bronze Age mindset by Bronze Age Pervert, <laughs> which is a very interesting book that I'll leave our viewers to research on their own. Mm. But he ends the article saying. In the spiritual war for hearts and minds of the disaffected youth on the right, conservatism is losing and Bapism is winning. And when you think about it, I mean, do you really see a lot of intelligent, kind of successful young right-wingers who are like extremely impressed with Rishi Sunak or like any of the directions that this way is going? I mean, you know, the future is young people. I mean, it's the people who are gonna go up to inherit the political system that we're in. Mm. So it seems to me that the death of the conservative party, even if it doesn't happen in this, next election is only a matter of time because it's failed to capture the interest of anybody with three brain cells to rub together who's under the age of you know 40. I mean who, who's really engaged with the Tories at this point anywhere on the mm. political spectrum. Um, so maybe this won't be sort of uh, uh, Bapism that takes over in, in the UK but I, I do wonder you know what is the time frame for the eventual turnaround here because I mean Maybe it's even if it's 15 years, a lot of these people are going to retire. It's like that old saying, you know, like science progresses, you know, one death at a time as kind of a new generation takes over. As, you know, the people our age, I'm in kind of my late 20s, um, end up getting closer to our 40s, there's simply not going to be anyone left to take over. No, and I mean, I, and I think it's, it's good you mentioned that because I, I should probably say just something very quickly more about it, it, there really are dangers here. So that 
you know, sometimes national populism is a very important corrective and you get people challenging globalization in intelligent ways. And, you know, you have someone like Georgia Maloney, he's talking about kind of how, you know, we need to fight neocolonialism and things. And, and again, there's, there's some important things being said, but at the same time, you've got people who really are genuinely are post-Christian, neo-pagan racists. And those people exist, you know, in, there's an Estonian, like far-right, youth movement where they sort of like you know they're, they're kind of dancing around bonfires yeah, they're all over where yeah. they all want to get on horseback and like join up with like pan-turkic like nazis mm. i mean this is mm. there, there are really dark things here and I, and I think people would be amazed at the you know you have all these kind of extremist people talking about the dangers of the far right that no one's selling bombs but i think they would be amazed if they knew the real scope of the number of young men who are quietly being attracted to these ideas in the english-speaking world and, and i think it we, i think when the left pushes so hard and negatively against you know people who have no racial or sex consciousness mm. and they tell them that you're bad for being a white man i think they have you know and then they stoke up racial and gender politics in these really extreme ways I think they have no idea the kind of dangers they're opening themselves up to because the natural response of an awful lot of people intelligent young people to being told that they're no good is to follow the first person who tells them that they're worth something and that it's good to be white it's good to be a man and that's why you've seen people like Bronze pervert like um oh, what's that mad Romanian uh, sex trafficker Alleged, oh, alleged sex, sex trafficker. Oh, we should sorry. say for definitely. We should uh, say for legal purposes. Yeah, sorry, um, still not charged. Uh, 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 well, sorry, sorry. I should. I'll correct myself. <laughs> that so, alleged sex yes, trafficker. Yes, yes. Andrew Tate. There Andrew Tate. Uh, I think. Yeah. I, you know that. I mean, that, you know that's the kind of thing that there's a real risk people will actually go for. Hmm. Can I just say though too? I mean, it seems like a lot of this is already being mainstream to a degree. Where, I mean, if you took a look at Elon Musk's Twitter over the last few days where he was tweeting about FBI crime statistics in America, I mean, this is the richest, most one of the most powerful men in the world um, talking about things that up until, you know, maybe two years ago, three years ago, were exclusively relegated to, like, 4chan boards. Uh, so it does seem like a lot of this stuff is already seeping in, and I just mm -hmm. wonder, you know, we're already seeing kind of, you know, magma bursts crack through the surface eventually there is going to be some sort of eruption if it's not contained is not the right word but um, diverted into something that's actually productive it will could become pretty predatory I think that I, mm. uh, my sense of it is very much and, and it's sort of an urgency which you uh, in your piece at the end you sort of say you know political the p political um, cultures across Europe are going to have to uh, present, you know, throw up parties which make intelligent challenges to globalization. Mm. Sorry, which make challenges to globalization, or they will be replaced. I mean, there'll there'll be, be other ones which rise instead. My sense mm. of it, in terms of the, the timing question, is that the sooner this sort of um, second populist eruption happens, a the more intelligent it will be, yeah. it's likely to be, and 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 b the more staying power it's likely to have. And I think wh whether that happens, as I say, within the Conservative Party, which I think is probably less likely, or you know, a, a new force from outside the Conservative Party supplanting it, the sooner it happens, the better. And maybe that party, if it talks about the sort of issues which you mentioned in your piece, will be able to galvanise young people in a way which, the, the, as Evan correctly says, the, the Conservative Party in this country is failing to do. Sebastian, would you like to have the last word? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very ominous. Oh, do, do you agree with what I just said? I yeah, I, I do. And, and I think it's, it's so important um, for people who are looking at this, who perhaps disagree, who see this as threatening, mm. to see that 
that globalization has destroyed lives it, it, and the left has failed to respond to it and if they and that if and that it's so important that people who are involved in mainstream politics find a way to engage with and to respond to national populism and not just condemn it not because there aren't valid critiques to be made of these parties but because they are answering problems that mainstream politics is not. And if they simply repudiate them, if the Hillary Clinton did, you know, baskets of deplorables, all of mm, that language, yeah. if, they ignore, if they ignore this, it's not only that the movement will succeed, it's that far darker movements are waiting in the wings yeah. if those movements fail and, 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 the, and, and, you know, things can get so much worse. Gosh, well, that's cheery. It's probably to end on. Yeah, it's quite funny, you know, to end on this, uh, with the national conservatism, you hear, like, the... the like center left liberals like decrying this movement that's run by yeah. like a group of Israelis and stuff and it's like do you have any idea like what the actual yeah. <laughs> reaches of the right can get up to like yes, yes. no it, it, it's uh, it's pretty pretty ominous stuff but hopefully we can we can we can turn the ship of state around Sebastian Milbank thank you so much no, thank uh, you so for much. joining us Evan thanks as ever of course. <laughs> you've been watching deprogrammed we shall see you next week hello if you're enjoying the new culture forum channel and you believe in our mission May I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.